Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. My name's Jordan, and uh, my wife Shay and I, we um, lead children's ministry here um, and co-lead youth ministry with Mary and Kelly. Um, so like Pastor Matt was saying, if you would like to get involved with kids ministry, youth ministry, come talk to us. We would love to have more leaders. You can smile or nod or anything. You don't have to be scared that I'm asking you to volunteer. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so we're the guys to talk to you. But um, so we have been talking a lot on Israelites um, and their journey. Um, we're in Exodus, and so last week, Pastor Matt talked about um, the Israelites sending spies to the Promised Land, right? And so they had one from each tribe, and so they sent the 12, and they come back with this great report of the food and everything, how it's huge, and then they also had a bad report of, you know what? These guys are giants. These guys are too big. There's no possible way that we can go to this promised land and inhabit it. There's no way. They're going to wipe us out completely. And so we see there's only two guys, Joshua and Caleb, that um, had the faith in God that, yes, God, through you, we can go and we can inhabit this land. We can have your promise. But the majority of them said, no, there's no possible way this can happen. And so God had promised them, all right, now because you don't have faith in me, you're not going to go into the promised land. You're going to die in the wilderness, and your kids are going to be the one to inhabit the promised land. And that's crazy. Terrible news to me if I was an Israelite at that time like that. Well, that was, that was pretty stinky. Um, so today we're going to continue on the Israelites' journey through the wilderness and, and the context of what happens after they're told not to go into the promised land. But first, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for bringing us here. I thank you that we are allowed to freely worship you, God, um, that we don't have to hide in rooms or houses like a lot of our brothers and sisters all over the world have to um, for fear of persecution. But God, we, we can come freely, we can come boldly to you and uh, in, in, in this freedom, God. We just thank you for that. I ask, Lord, that you would just anoint me, that everything that comes out of my mouth would be of you, God, um, and that it will it will bring encouragement, Lord, and challenge to your church, God. And I pray over every person here under the sound of my voice, Lord, that you would just anoint their hearts, anoint their minds, God, that they will receive exactly what you want them to receive, God. Nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's get into the scriptures. We're going to start on Numbers chapter 21, verses 4. Through half a seven. Boom. On the Sky Bible, if you don't have it. And it says, From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel, Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. So our first main idea today is that God punishes sin and desires repentance. And 
I wanted, before we get into these slithery poisonous serpents or anything, I want to get some context of exactly where we are at because something struck me as weird from last week's message to right now where they're at. Because last week, we remember, they're scared to death. They're not going to go into the promised land. They can't do it. And now they're impatient. They're ready. They're ready to go to the promised land. And so what has changed? What, what, what in their attitude and what their mindsets have changed? And so to do that, you have to go the, the first three verses of Numbers 21, which I won't read or anything else, but I'll just bring into to what happened. So they're leaving from this place called Mount Hor, okay? And the reason they're doing that is because God called the Israelites to go there, okay? And called Moses, Aaron, and his son to go up to the mountain. And it was this ritualistic thing where Aaron was going to take off his priestly garments by Moses and give them to his son. So it's passing down. Now his son is going to be the high priest. And Aaron dies there on the mountain. Okay? That's pretty crazy in itself. So they mourn for 30 days. All the Israelites are mourning and, and are sad. And so after this mourning, there's some Canaanites there that end up taking some Israelites captive. Okay, and the Israelites are, no, we need our family. It's like someone taking your wife or taking your kid or something captive. You want to get them back, right? Please say yes that you want to. Don't be weird. <laughs> Maybe not. Pastor Matt, don't do that either. But anyway, so they're like, yes, we got to get them. And so they make a vow to God. They ask God, they're like, hey, if you give us victory over these Canaanites, then we promise all their cities to destruction. We will wipe them off the face of the earth, right? And I had to think of myself, like, I've done that a lot in my past. Have you done that? Ever made a vow to God? Like, God, if you do this for me, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it, and I promise you. And I think of myself as, as when I was a kid, I hated taking tests. I hated in school. I hated test taking. And so I was just religious enough to pray to God right before a test, Okay. And so I was like, Jesus, I got the test tomorrow. It's a big one. I don't want to fail. I want a 100. I want an A. If you give me an A, I promise I will go to church always. I'm going to read my Bible every morning, whatever it is, right? So we've all, I think, have made those vows at some point in our lives. And if you look at it, it's usually from a place of you don't have true connection and relationship with God sometimes. When you have that mindset of, of where he's just... Someone that you call to, he's like a genie god, right? And so we see that even though the Israelites made this vow, and God knew they were not going to keep it, right? If we, we have hindsight bias, we can look at Israel's future, and we look at when they entered the promised land and everything else, and through the generations, they did not wipe all the Canaanites out at first, right? They didn't, they didn't do what they promised they were going to do. And God knew that. He knew that they were not going to, to fulfill their end of the deal, and yet he still gave them victory. And that in itself is super awesome to know that our relationship with God isn't dependent on our actions, but it's all on him. It's, it's, he's the one that fulfills the promises. He's the one that, that takes care of his end of the deal, even when you don't. So I thought that was amazing. So now it makes sense to me why they seem to be a little impatient because they've had a taste of victory. They're like, man, you know what? We can whoop the Canaanites. We can take them out. We can take over this land completely because we know God's with us because we have physically seen it. And that mindset as believers is dangerous. It's a dangerous mindset to have because God wanted them to go into the land and have faith in him 
to take care of it. And they wouldn't do that until they tasted victory, until they knew for sure. And so it's, it's sometimes I think we look at God, at least I have in my life, as some holy, majestic vending machine. If I do this and this and this, I'm going to get that. And the mindset behind this is we forget that we serve God. It's not the other way around. Yes, he loves you and he blesses you and he gives you things that you pray for and ask for. But at the end of the day, we serve him. He is king of all. He's got the ultimate reign. We serve God, not the other way around. So we see that because of this, they're, they're, they're impatient, they're ready. But because they did not have faith in God previously, there's consequences. They're still not going to go into the promised land whether they want to or not, whether now they feel like they're ready, they've had victory, we're going to go in and take over, it's not God's will. God ordains the time when that's supposed to take place. So through the, through the scriptures here, we see that the Israelites are acting like a broken record again. And we've seen this several, several instances throughout. And if you're doing the Bible reading daily devotional um, with the church, that you're just seeing it constantly, constantly. The Israelites, they gripe and they complain and they grumble and nothing's ever good enough and they're never satisfied. And instead of ever pointing the finger at themselves, like, you know what, it's our fault. At first, they're always like, it's your fault. Or, God, why did you do this? Or, why can't you do this? Or, Moses, you're terrible. Like, let's kill you. Like, what? Like, that's ridiculous. And so here in the same moment, they're doing it again. They're grumbling, they're complaining. They, they speak against Moses. And even more than that, they're speaking directly against God. They're blaming God. And it was really funny to me, maybe not funny in a ha-ha way, but interesting, is that they say there's no food, there's no water, and we loathe this worthless food. There's no food and water. What worthless food are you talking about? And you have to look back and, and you see that in Exodus 16, this worthless food that they're talking about is the manna from heaven. This is the miracle that sustained Israel and kept them alive and kept them not from dying and from starvation because God had blessed them with the manna. And it's like, man, when you understand the context of that, it's, it's this last year's blessing that was such a huge miracle. Thank you, God. We're glorifying you is now like, oh, that's worthless. That is, man, have you ever done that in your life? Have you ever been blessed with something, and then a year from then, or two years, or whatever, a decade, you're like, ah, whatever. You don't appreciate it as much. And so it's kind of like slapping God in the face. What he's blessed you with, now you're like, it's not worth it. It's not good enough, God. I want something new. I want something fresh. And so that's where Israelites, where, where they're at. It's become worthless to them. And I think that a lot of times we can get into a very bad place where we're unthankful of what God's already blessed us with. I mean, for example, maybe you needed a new job or a new position, and you prayed and asked God to give you that, to give you that promotion, whatever, that move, and he blessed you with it. Maybe that's why some of you are here right now. You got promoted whatever you sent to Germany. But over time, where, where it was so great... You're, and God blessed you with, you're, you become unthankful and you don't appreciate your job anymore. You're more like, man, this is just a hassle. Like, my coworkers are terrible. They're dumb. Like, I hate this job. It's the worst job on the planet. Whatever. You can easily get to that point where you're like, man, this is just terrible. Or maybe you wanted kids and you prayed for them. And as you have them, they annoy the living snot out of you. Anybody? I got a reaction on that one, so that must be true in somebody's life. <laughs> you pray and you pray and you pray, and then 
they're here and then they never stop screaming or crying or they're teenagers and they never stop eating and how they're eating at a house and a home and or they're just rude or now they feel like they know everything. I was at, at the cafeteria the other day. I work at, at the school and so this one kid, I asked him to move the tray or whatever else to stack it up after they'd eaten lunch and he just like walked away like, who are you talking to? And just walked away and my coworker's like, you know, when they're in fourth grade, they know it all. Like they've got it all together and it's like maybe that's got to be for some parents out there that your kids are like I know everything please stop telling me how to live my life I've got it under control right and so through that you're like man why did I ever want you this is terrible hopefully you're not really thinking that but you may have those moments where you're like man this is like you're you're such a hassle to me right now you got to be honest you may have had those moments okay maybe you just wanted more money right in your situation and you're like God if you bless me more I'm gonna pour out all my finances, all my resources to you. I'll give more. I'll double my tithes, whatever. And so God blessed you with that. But then now you got more bills. You got twice as many bills, twice as many priorities. And what you used to tithe or whatever give, you're still giving the same amount. And now you make double. That's another way of not not honoring what God did for you. Amen. And so maybe, I mean, even there's a different concept. Maybe you desire to be married and have a spouse to be there for you and love you, and now you can't stand your spouse, or you you hate being around them, or y'all just don't click or don't mesh the right way anymore. And it's just like you can, all these things that we can pray for and wish for, hopefully you're not tapping your neighbor saying, that was you, I'm annoyed with you right now, don't do that. But maybe in that instance you have those moments where you're like, man, this is terrible, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And so these blessings that you're given that God has blessed you with, you just quickly are extremely unthankful. And like, man, I'm just, you, you, you come and you're, you're looking just like the Israelites. These blessings, this miracle from heaven is now worthless in your life to you. And so if we think about that and we look at this story and take it into practicality, we can learn directly through the Israelites that um, if you don't appreciate what God has blessed you with, he can easily take it away with no problem and, and give you something that you don't want to have. Because the Israelites, they were like, man, we don't have food, we don't have water. God's like, here's a snake. Biting you. Poisonous. Some of them died. That's crazy. That's crazy to think. We, I mean, we always have this, 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 this movement of God is just love. And he's just, oh, he's like, he's beautiful, it's amazing. And that he never casts judgment on anything. He is. He's a good, just God. And he does desire repentance. You have to repent. You have to come to God. So when I was going through this, I was reminded, I was praying, and God reminded me of this story that happened when I was a kid. So before I tell you, don't make fun of me, okay? I was a child. And even though I was about nine years old, you thought I had more sense, but I didn't at the time, okay? So when I was growing up, we had this tiny little three-bedroom house. And, but we had a great yard. It was like three-quarters of an acre, so it was huge. So we were outside all the time and playing. And we had all these little random flowers, and um, they're called honeysuckles, I think. Is that what they're called? Honeysuckles, where you suck the flower and you get the honey out, which I think is weird, but you do it in the South sometimes. Anyways, so <laughs> we always had these bees that would hover over the flowers, right? And I, I remember one day, it just it came into my head. I'm like, I want to touch that bee. Like, hi. I want to feel it because I've seen National Geographic or whatever and like they're fuzzy. I'm like, I want to feel the fuzzy fur. I think that would be great to touch that bee. And so I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to step on it first and kill it. 
and then it's going to be incapacitated, and it can't sting me, okay? And these aren't the big fat bees. These are the little bitty bees that once they sting you, they commit kamikaze suicide and die, right? So anyways, I like, I'll kill him first before he has the chance. So I step on him, and I wait a second, and then I go with my finger to touch him, and immediately I'm stung, and I'm like, ah, like crying, super scared, super hurt, and I run to my mom. I'm like, mom, please, it's stung me, and she's like, oh, he's a cute baby, you know, and like pulls it out, and, uh, um, um, and so in that instance, I kind of related that with Israelites is, I mean, I've, I've touched bugs before. I've stepped on things and, and held bugs, you know, and just like the Israelites, they've complained before. They've done this before. It's nothing new to them, so maybe it seems safe for them. Because every time they've complained before, yeah, there was a little bit of problems, but not so much where God's about to wipe them all out with poisonous snakes, right? And so in that, it's not something that they've done before, so they've complained. And with what they did and what I did, there was immediate pain. There's immediate consequences when you sin in your life, whether you realize it or not. It's immediate and understanding that, and from the sting, how I've just, it just stung my finger, but I felt it all in my arm. That's how sin is in our life, is wherever you sin or whatever you're doing, however you're disobeying God, it's immediate, it's poisonous, man. It's just like the venom. It gets all on you, gets in your life, gets in your mind, gets in your thoughts, gets in your heart, even to your family. Your sin doesn't just stay with you. Your disobedience from God doesn't just stop with you. It bleeds on to your whole family. And so the more you sin, the more you disobey God, the more you can find you and your family in disarray. Your marriage can go to, to terrible pits. Your relationship with your kids can get terrible. Everything around you, you don't have any joy. And that's all because you're constantly living in the state of sinful nature. Amen? So on that up note, let's go to the next scriptures. In Numbers 21, verse 7, we'll end 7 and uh, through 8. The Israelites are here now talking to Moses. They go to him. They, like I ran to my mom. They ran to Moses. And they said, pray to the Lord that he can take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And leads us to our next awesome point. Um, is that God provides an intercessor to appeal on behalf of his people. When you realize how entangled you are by sin, or that there's no way out, you run to something. You run to someone. And the Israelites at this moment, they're dying. They're seeing people die. Their family's dying. They're, they're, they're feeling pain. They're, all, they're, they're bitten. Their poison's running through their vein. And so they immediately run to Moses. They're like, we need your help because we know you can, because you've done this before. And we see that, that God does provide an intercessor for Israelites, for the Israelites. He provided Moses from the very, very get-go. We see through the story of the Israelites that Moses is constantly interceding for Israel and praying on their behalf. He's constantly crying out to God, asking for provision. He's asking for, like, God, please send them food, send water, do what you can do. He's asking for direction. God, where do we go? What do we do? Where are you taking us? And even so much that they're being led by pillars of cloud and pillars of fire at night. Like, that's awesome. Constantly, Moses is praying and interceding. He even, I mean, to the point where he has to beg God not to wipe all of Israel out. And God's like, you know what? We're just going to start fresh. I'm going to wipe them out because they're completely unruly. They're disobedient. 
we're, I'm going to start with you, Moses. We're just going to start fresh like a Noah moment. Wipe everybody out. Start with new. And Moses is like, God, no, please. I love them. They're my people. You called me to lead them, to intercede on their behalf. That's what I'm doing. I don't want them to die. And God, thank you for your namesake. Because if the Egyptians and the people in this community around us see that you delivered us, but you couldn't get us to the promised land, then that taints your name. You aren't a big enough God to do what you said you were going to do. So you see constantly Moses is begging to God on his people's behalf. I mean, even to the point where his sister and brother um, talk about him um, or a couple chapters earlier, and they speak against him and like, why are you so special? Like, doesn't God talk to all of us? And God strikes her with leprosy. And it's like in that moment, I mean, you think, I mean, I have a little brother, so, and we argue sometimes, um, fun and playfully, if you can imagine. And so I would think in that moment, I'm not, maybe I'm not as humble as Moses was, because if he got leprosy because he was talking smack, I'd be like, shouldn't have done it. Told you. Don't do that. Don't talk smack. Do you know who I is? You know what I mean? And Moses is not even close to that. He's super humble, super meek, and he goes to God like, God, please heal my sister. She has leprosy. I don't want her to die. And God's like, let me handle it. Just relax. And so Moses, I mean, even to the point where um, he, he's, he's, the Israelites want to stone him. They want to stone Moses and get a new leader and go back. They don't want to go to the promised land. And Moses is still interceding for these people, still serving them faithfully, interceding on their behalf. And so today, we don't have Moses that we run to for our problems, for our issues. We have someone greater. We have Jesus, who is our high priest, that we can go to. He intercedes on our behalf. All our problems, all your issues, what you pray for, Jesus goes to God on your behalf. That's amazing. That is amazing. We look at Moses and we look how selfless and humble he is. How much greater does Jesus do for us? How much greater did he do for us on the cross? That's amazing. Another, as, you, as a follower of Jesus, do you know that you are also called to intercede on other people's behalf? Do you know that? That's part of your job is to go to people to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ, to bless people, to pray for them, to serve them faithfully. I mean, Moses is a pretty good model of what that looks like. Despite how much the people are hating you or coming against you, you are continually going out for, to them in love and blessing them. And so the question that I have for you today is, who are your people? Who are your Israelites that God has put under you, with you, by you, that you can serve and you can lead? I mean, the reality of it is, that in this community, German community, military community, we walk past people every single day that are going to hell. Don't know Jesus at all. And will not have citizenship in heaven. Can you be bold enough to come at someone and love them enough to share the gospel with them? Is it difficult? Is it super hard? Is it awkward? Yes. It can be really awkward, and you can feel really uncomfortable, especially if you don't do it often. Just randomly come up to someone, right? But to engage in someone, to love them enough, if they're your people, then you can relate to them. And the whole reason why it's uncomfortable is, is it's a great thing because Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, to comfort you 
He leads you, he directs you, he guides you, he gives you what to say, when to say it, how to talk to that person on that level where they can receive it. I learned a lot from Moses in this context. I mean, we're talking about him faithfully serving and, and, and being there for his people. But if you look at just a chapter before, God told Moses, the people were grumbling again, surprise, they needed some water, right? And so God told Moses to take his staff and to go to the rock and speak to it, and it's going to yield forth water. That's kind of crazy, right? So what does Moses do? Does he go and speak to the rock and it yields water? No, he does not. Instead, he's angry, he's frustrated at these people. It's the 2,000th millionth time that they're complaining again, and he strikes it twice. Struck it. And in that disobedience, God tells him, guess what? You're not going to the promised land because you didn't obey me and you did not do what I said. You were supposed to be an example to these people and you directly defied me in front of all of them. And I, I was talking to Shay about this, like why, why would this, I mean, I, I can see where it's a big deal, but what, what else, what's more, what's, what's the, the, the real center of it? And we were talking how beforehand God had told Moses to strike the rock. And yield forth water. And he did it, and it happened. And so now God tells him to do something new. To step out again on something new. Fresh faith. God is going to do something different this time. But instead of trusting God and believing God to go forward and do what God's called him to do this time, he falls back on work last time. Have you ever done that in your life? Do you play it safe when it comes to your walk with God? I have. Completely. God can tell me to go out and do something. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Let's do this because I know it's for sure going to work. But in that moment, if we continue to live your lives that way, I mean, you, you can miss out on the promise that God has for you, on the true blessings, the true ministry he's given you, the people you can really reach that he wants you to reach, but you don't have enough faith to step out. So I would encourage you to do that. And, and even so with Moses, okay, he struck it, and he fell back on, on what worked, struck the rock, whatever, and he wasn't going to make it to the promised land. God promised him that, right? But that didn't stop him from serving faithfully where God had him. Just because there wasn't an immediate reward, an immediate, like, you're, you're going to make it, so it's good. He, he, when the people come to him, he could have easily been like, what's the point? I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm not going to the promised land with you guys. Like, why, why, even, why even serve? But instead, he was a leader in the fact that he continued to serve, even when there was no immediate reward for him, even though he wasn't going to make it because he was so burdened by the future of his people that he knew if he didn't serve, if he didn't do what God called him to do, his people were not going to make it to the promised land. If you don't do what God has called you to do, souls are going to be lost to hell. If you don't do and reach out and step out in faith for people and do what God has called you to do, their blood can be on your conscience. Do you want that? Do you want that in your life? I don't. So even when it sounds crazy and you're supposed to step out, continue to serve faithfully. Continue to do what God has called you to do so that you don't have to have that. You can know, like, I've done it all. Like Paul, I've run the race. I've done it. Everything that God called me to do, I did it. And even when it sounds crazy... Because I can imagine when it came to the rock, Moses was like, man, this is just doesn't make sense. Okay, and striking a rock does, and water comes out? Come on now. Most of what God asks you to do sometimes can seem that, where it doesn't make any sense. 
But it's for a reason and it's for a purpose and he's teaching you, he's stretching your faith. He's growing your capacity to believe and trust in him. Amen? So speaking of true leadership, let's go on to our last few verses. Numbers 21, verse 9. It says, So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's awesome. And continuing to John 3, Jesus references the same exact moment. Starting at verse 14, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that leads to our, our last major main idea is that God provides a way of salvation through faith for his people. There's a way. There's always a way. And as I'm reading this, and as I was reading this and studying for it, I was like, how cool of a moment was that? This is when Jesus was saying that he's talking to Nicodemus, who is, man, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He's super religious leader of the day, reading the Bible nonstop, whatever. Maybe not. I don't know. But he's, he's one of the leaders, right? And so he comes to Jesus in the nighttime, and he's like, hey, I know you're from God. I know there's something different about you. What is it? I want to know, right? And so Jesus is explaining to him, and how cool is it that the mystery of, of salvation for the world is finally revealed in this moment? I mean, from everything, from he's referencing the bronze serpent, so decades, decades, centuries, whatever, before him, when this happened, Jesus is saying, that pointed to me. The tabernacle that we talked about, the construction, and it points to Jesus. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. The entire Old Testament does. Even to Adam, the first people, Adam and Eve, where God promises to put enmity between him and the offspring, right? Between the devil and her offspring. There was always a plan of salvation, and finally, Jesus has revealed it. The Israelites had to look upon this bronze snake and trust God for healing. And Jesus is saying, in the same way as they looked, you look upon the Son of Man on the cross, what he did for you, and you can have eternal life. You can be set free from your sin. You can be set free from your shame. I mean, Jesus always knew his purpose. He knew that was his purpose in life, was to go there. Even when he's 12 years old, a teenager, right, or preteen, what do you call those? Pre-teenagers? Preteen? I'll say preteen. 12 years old, and he's in, the, the, in God's house, and his parents are looking for him. They lose him, and they go to him. They finally find him. He's like, you should have known I'm about my father's business. Like, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is why I have came to this earth. And so for him to reveal, even before it happened to Nicodemus, like, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And when you believe in me, you will have eternal life. This is the mystery of salvation. And so the, 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 what we have to get from this is that sin in our lives completely distorts us spiritually. We're wicked. We become wicked. It, it, it can annihilate everything in our lives to the point that it completely severs our relationship with God. In your sin, you have no relationship with God at all. And the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross, that he's lifted up in shame, he's lifted up bloodied, torn, broken, bruised, in all kinds of weakness, he's thirsty, Jesus had to become completely unrecognizable so that you could be made recognizable to God. That when you believe in Jesus, 
And when God looks at you, he sees his son. He sees holiness. He sees righteousness. He sees perfection because of what Jesus did. It's the power in his blood that does it. It's his blood that makes you completely righteous. It's his blood that makes you complete. It's his blood that rips away all sin, that can completely take the sin and, the, and that pain and everything and anguish off your family. It can heal every disease. Whatever it is, it's Jesus' blood. It's not in It's in him. It's him that does it. It's him that completely sets us free. Amen? And I think that's why communion, communion is so important that we recognize the blood of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And through him, we can be saved. Through him, other people can be saved and be healed and set free from depression and anxiety and anything that they're going through. Through his blood and believing him, he can completely take that away from you. And that's awesome. That's awesome. But the other thing is what communion represents is, is the bread, his body that's broken. And Jesus himself called him the bread of life. And what was funny about that is when he does that, he's talking about the Israelites and the manna from heaven. And what you don't want to do in your life is act like the Israelites of this bread that God has given you becomes worthless to you and it's not enough. It can become not enough to you. That Jesus, the bread of life, that your belief in him, whatever, it was cool when you first got saved. Everything changed, you're on fire. But now, 10 years into it, 15 years to it, it's like, oh, I mean, it's kind of cool. Kind of. Really don't want to witness, though. I don't want to tell anybody about my relationship with Jesus. Is your life that way? You've, it's got to be, I mean, that's another reason why communion is so important. And, and doing it often is so you can be reminded of what he did for you. For you completely. And then if you realize how much he actually loves you, how much he actually cares for you, that he would give up all his rights in heaven to come down, live a perfect, sinless life, and still take on your punishment, still take on your shame. Can you imagine the disciples watching him get beat and bruised and whipped and then nailed to the cross, risen up, and then just laying? I mean, that's ridiculous. He loves you that much. And if you can understand an inkling of how much he loves you, I mean, the Bible says that God has more good thoughts about you than the sands on the seashore. That's a lot of good thoughts. That's a lot of good thoughts. If, you're, if your perspective as God is that he's always like, oh, not good enough, not good enough. Man, he loves you. Completely does he love you. So much so that he did send Jesus for you. And if you can understand that for yourself, then you can look around this room, look around your community, your workplace, and see how valuable every single person is that you're around that you come in contact with, that everyone is worth it. Whether that guy at work annoys you to death or not, he's worth it. So much so that Jesus gave his entire life so that guy could be set free. So that guy could have citizenship into heaven. That's the kind of attitude we need to walk into. We need to do. So if you, if you truly believe what I'm telling you, then you have no choice to give everything. That's what Jesus said. He called you and you give it all. Whatever it takes. Because you're following Jesus. You're following in his footsteps. Withholding nothing. Nothing. From reaching people. From loving people. It is your job to be an ambassador for all of those that are doomed for an eternity of destruction and despair. There are souls waiting on someone to come to them in bold love and reach them with the gospel. And tell them they do have a purpose. They do have hope. Suicide is not the answer. Your disease is not final. Whatever it is, are you going to be bold enough to go out 
and reach your Israelites, reach your people, the people that God has given to you. It's your choice. You have to make it on your own. You can step out in the new faith and believe God for new and miraculous things, or you can stay with what works and what you're comfortable in. It's your choice. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.